So here we go. End of chapter 3. We've got Jonah has just preached to Nineveh. And um, here it is, verse 7. We'll start with verse 7, just to give you the context. And he, that is the king, issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. In other words, they were saved. They were saved. But that, what I just read, God relented, they're saved, yay, amen. We should end chapter 3 like this. If this book made a little more sense to me, maybe to y'all, it should be like this. And Jonah went home happy. And he cooked a nice big meal and slept well that night. (laughs) And then chapter 3 ends and it's like, oh yay, that book of the Bible tied in a bow. We all get it. He understood grace. He then went and preached grace to Nineveh. They received God's grace through repentance. Amen. Instead, here's what we have. Really? But... What God did displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? What we have here today is a gut reaction from Jonah. Let's think about gut reactions for just a minute as we start. You ever have gut reactions? Yeah, me too. You know, what's your gut reaction even this morning to like, when I say the word God? I mean, really, have you ever done this recently? Or the Heavenly Father? What's your gut reaction to that? God. Is it apathy? I don't know. Is it fear? Is it joy? That's essentially what's happening here. This is Jonah's gut reaction to the God of grace. And we're going to examine today not only Jonah's life, but what does this mean for us? What's our gut reaction to the God of grace? And hopefully you'll come with me on this journey and really take a hard look at your own thinking, your own life, and honestly, what your feelings are. Because that's what a gut reaction is ultimately, isn't it? There's some thinking involved, admittedly. But generally speaking, it's, it's the way you feel about something. For instance, um, Christy can ask me a question like this. How do you like my new dress, honey? And she can say something along the lines of, give me your gut reaction. I'm not going to do that. Right? I'm going to sit, I'm going to think about it and be like, what's the most loving answer to that question? Don't give a gut reaction to that, fellas. Okay? Sometimes it's okay to not give a gut reaction. Or here's another question you might have been asked. What did you think about that fifth grade band production? 
give me your gut reaction, right? No, don't. Don't give your gut reaction to that. You want to give something that's kind. <laughs> that's the three things I ask my kid. Is it my kids about what they say to one another or to me? You know, is it is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it helpful? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it helpful? Um, and then finally, I'm never going to ask you this question. What was your gut reaction to the sermon today? <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you some time to come up with some platitudes. <laughs> But here's the, here's the weird thing about this story of Jonah. We've seen Jonah in this, this amazing picture of God's uh, intervention in his life. We've seen him experience powerfully the grace of God. He was drowning. He was in despair. He said, I have sunk to the feet of the mountains. I'm underwater. I'm going to die. And God, you've rescued me. And he comes out effusively praising God. God, I give you thanks. He comes out, I want to sacrifice my life to you, God. I now have a new perspective. I now have a new way of doing life. Oh, isn't this thing wonderful? Oh, I'm going to start going to church more regularly. That was Jonah's sort of gut reaction to grace at the first time he experienced it. But now, his gut reaction is not based upon the grace that was shown to him, It's based upon the reaction that was shown to someone else. And that someone else just so happens to be his enemy. We haven't talked about this a ton as we've walked through Jonah, but y'all, Nineveh was an enemy of Israel, of where Jonah was coming from. It, It was a place that probably either attacked Israel before or was going to. They were the greatest power in the world at the time. They were a threat to him. And so there was this deep sense in which he loathed everything that they stood for, and everything that they could accomplish. And here it was, God showing grace to that very city. And so we have his gut reaction. And here's how we're going to break this passage down. We're going to look at these three things this morning. If you're a note taker, they're in the little insert in your bulletin. We're going to look at Jonah's disgust. We're going to look at Jonah's anger, because they're actually two different things in the passage. And then we're going to look at God's response and what that means for us. Let's first look at Jonah's disgust. Jonah's disgust is directly related to what this book is really all about. This book is all about grace, absolutely. God's grace, when someone repents and believes. But just as much, it's about pride. It's about how powerful and consistent and persistent pride is in a person's life. In Jonah's life, perhaps our own lives, even here today. Now, pride was the main thing that was dominating Jonah's life when God called him to go to Nineveh. God's like, hey, I want you to go preach this incredible message of my, my love and the way that I'm going to spare these people from their evil deeds. And Jonah runs the other direction. His pride will not let him go. He truly believes in his heart of hearts that he is better Hear hear me out. And more deserving of God's grace than those nasty, mean people in the city of Nineveh. And so his first gut reaction to God giving grace to the people of Nineveh is disgust. Now, the reason I say disgust is because the ESV, again, you've heard me mention this, love it, fantastic translation, trust it. But it cleans things up a bit. 
And this first phrase here in verse 1 is cleaned up. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Doesn't that sound so dainty? But he was exceedingly displeased at God's actions. The, the be- I think the best translation for the Hebrew here is Jonah was disgusted by what God had just done. He was, he was ready to vomit at what God had just done. Because that, and that's how we know this was a gut reaction. I tried to think of what, what disgusts me, what disgusts you. I really spent some time pondering that this week. Is there, when it comes to people in particular, I mean, I'm not talking about going outside and stepping in some dog doo-doo. But like, what, what people discuss, if, if, what kind of a person, if they walked in this room right here, right now this morning, would you be super tempted to move away from if they came and sat down next to you? You know, the, the one I came up with was this. Let's say Christy and I were out to eat at Fleury. I don't know if you've heard of that place, but it's this incredibly posh, fancy French restaurant on the downtown mall. And let's say Christy and I were on our anniversary date, and we have been given the table of honor in the restaurant. Pretty awesome. And then, all of a sudden, um, a homeless person from the downtown mall walks in, absolutely reeking of body odor, perhaps some alcohol in the breath, you know, just thrown out their cigarette as they came in, and um, they sit down directly next to us. Might we feel, might might I feel, I'm I'm talking about myself, you may have the perfect reaction to this, but a little disgust of, this is my anniversary dinner, I'm spending $300 on this meal, and I don't want to have to smell this the whole time. I have a right to not have to smell this the whole time. The point I'm trying to get across is, y'all, often our disgust at another human being is simply a gut reaction. It's just we think we're better or we just think that that person should be doing better or doing something different in their lives. Now, I gave some that are very surface level, admittedly, but generally speaking, it goes much beyond the surface. Pride pride is a part of life, all of our lives. We, we just can't help it, y'all. Um, the New Testament, Jesus talks about this a lot. He, he gives us even better examples. I know I just gave some silly examples, but Jesus describes it much more potently. He says, check your heart. And he says, do you love just the people that love you? And what he's kind of saying there is, do you love just the people that talk like you and look like you and, and interact with the world like you and have similar feelings like you and Is that the people you always prefer to love? Because he's like, I think probably what you need to do if you want to really check your pride is to love your enemies. Figure out who it is that you most loathe or the the people that you are most disgusted at and love them, says Christ. Um, Another example of this is whenever Jesus is just hanging out with his disciples. I've got one here from Matthew. And it says in verse 9 of Matthew 16, it says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Later, as he was dining at Matthew's house, 
Many tax collectors, heaven forbid, and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, that is, saw this, they asked his disciples, Why in the world does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They are absolutely disgusted by the company that Jesus is keeping. And on hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. And and, and this really is a good summary for the sermon today. Jesus says it right here. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. One of the main things for us to really grasp, I think, here from Jonah, at least chapter 4 of Jonah, is that um, God's mercy is not mostly for those of us who get it right or have got it figured out. Um, God's mercy is for everyone. Um, It's not just for the clean and the neat and the nice looking. Now, the reason this is so important for us to get from Jonah and the reason that I think this story really um, has an impact on us is that grace is meant to really change us. One of the most powerful things that grace is meant to do in our lives is to humble us and to get us to the place where we can actually begin by the power of the Holy Spirit to love our enemies. It's rat- it is legitimately radical when this is at work in a person's life. Let me illustrate further. Let's, so the first thing that Jonah felt, his gut reaction to God's grace given to his enemies, is disgust. The second thing that he felt was anger. Anger is always on the heels of disgust. And the anger that he felt came not from the fact that God gave some grace to some people that he didn't like very well. It was because his grid got messed up. What do I mean by that? I'll explain. We all, I thought about this a lot for myself this week, we all live on a grid. And it's really based in your gut more than it is in your brain. And what do I mean by the grid? I mean you have, when you walk outside your house, maybe it even happens inside your house, especially if you're browsing through social media. You've got a way of kind of placing yourself in the world, right? You've got, this, you've got some variation of people that are above you that you've decided These people are just, in general, probably better than me. And I don't know what your category is. It's different for each person. It might have to do with wealth. It might have to do with sort of moral, uh, you know, inventory. It might have something to do with, like, professional success. I don't know. But there's this category of people you've, you've put above yourself, right? But there's also, of course, a category of people that you've automatically sort of gridded below you. And so we all have this way that we walk into the world. We view the world where there are, of course, people that are better than us. But there are, of course, people that are worse than us. And we have this way of striding the world in this, in this way. And it, and it prevents us, and I think that's what we're seeing from Jonah, from really experiencing and sharing the grace of God. Now, by... Hopefully, as God grace, His grace has worked in your life, you've been able to sort of become more humble. But y'all, I don't know if you figured this out yet, but one of the main themes of Scripture 
is this opposition between human pride and humility. There's this constant reminding by God of our humility, where we actually stand before him, and the way that sin is constantly, consistently, persistently pushing us to pride. To thinking that somehow, someway, we are legitimately better than the people that we interact with. And this is exactly what God's response to Jonah is getting at. So we're, we're actually at the final point here. We're flying through. But before we get to this final point where we, we look at God's response to Jonah or God's question to Jonah, um, there's this paradox in the Christian faith, y'all. Our culture talks a big game about equality, right? I mean, you guys hear it all the time, right? Every day. We, we have to just view everybody as being our equal, right? And here, here's this preacher guy up front. Oh, it fits in, right, to the narrative, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, you should just view yourselves as equal with everyone. It doesn't work like that. I can't just stand up here. The, the, the news cannot, people cannot stand on the corner of the town square and just tell you, just think of everyone as equal with you. You just can't do it. These are gut reactions. This, is, you, this happens before you even have started to think about the world. It just is in your gut. But here's what's so remarkable about Christianity, so remarkable about what happened to Jonah, and so remarkable about us. You ready? We are flabbergasted at what happens to Jonah here. How quickly he returns to his sin of pride. Right? The story had this incredible arc of like Jonah being super excited that he had the grace of God and he was ready to go out and you know he was going to sacrifice for the Lord and he was so thankful. And this person that we are like, okay, this person knows God, is a follower of God, is a prophet of God, can fall this quickly and easily back into an egregious sin? Is this true for all of us? Can we this quickly and this egregiously fall back into sin? I really think the Bible is teaching us that we can. I think we're, we're being shown through Jonah. This is, this is not only possible, but it's typical. True, a true vision of equality comes from this powerful principle that Christians have. Y'all, Jesus talked about this all the time. A Christian has the strength to admit weakness. That's it. That's it. The world is going to tell you, and you probably have told yourself this, a Christian is so different than everyone else, right? How is it? (laughs) How many people have you heard this before? How is it that, you know, I see people at your church around, or I interacted with somebody who was at your church, and they are a total jerk. I wish I didn't have to be around them anymore, right? Normal human being. But y'all, Jesus taught this principle, and this is this principle of repentance. This is this principle of the fact that even though our sin is unbelievably powerful and deep in our life, God's love is more powerful and more persistent. His love is an antidote to our pride more persistently than that pride can pop back up. Again, it's what what God is doing with this final question to Jonah. He says, what right? Think about it for a minute. 
I mean, it's another way of, of God saying to Jonah, humble yourself. What right do you be, have to be angry, Jonah? Seriously. Now, next week, we're going to get into this awesome object lesson, this leaf that pops up. But until we get to that point, let's just talk about this part right here. What right do you have to be angry? Seriously? Are you guiding the, if, the world? <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing, Jonah, that, that has saved people before? How, 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 is, how is it that you can experience grace and wish that grace would be taken away from other people? It's a powerful question, and I just want us to settle, let it settle in on you a little bit this morning. Who are you angry at? Right? I'm sure it's probably someone who's harmed you. And you've probably set them up as the enemy. We all do this. And because you've set them up as the enemy, you're better than them. Right? They couldn't be your enemy any other way. If they were your friend, you wouldn't automatically think you're better than them. Y'all, we do this all the time. And I really think what God is asking Jonah, God also is asking us. What right, ultimately, do you have to be angry? There's another passage from 1 Peter that says this, God opposes the proud but favors, shows favor to the humble. It's really kind of chicken and the egg. Is it that God shows favor to people who are humble or God's favor, his unmerited grace, automatically humbles people? And I would say it's both and. It's both and. I mean, Jesus said, as, when his disciples came up to him and they said, okay, who's, who's the best in the kingdom? Who's the greatest? And he grabs a little child and he brings a little child to himself and he says, unless you become, become. Like this little child, you will not enter into my kingdom. He doesn't say, be awesome in my kingdom. He says, enter. The entryway is to humble yourself like this child. This theme runs consistently throughout Scripture. This humility. Humility, and I wrote down a few things about humility because we're going to conclude with this. Humility is self-confidence that runs far deeper than the tenuous self-confidence of the person who believes in himself or herself because others look up to him or her. Those who need to excel others to think well of themselves, who seek value at the expense of others, who try to climb to honor by using others, who construct their glory upon the shoulders of weakness found in others, who engage in the dangerous business of building self-assessments on watching to see how they're doing in comparison with others, a.k.a. social media. Those who live this way are, in some profound sense, actually degrading themselves and far worse, cutting themselves off from both God and people. Humility, humility is what God asks of us in response to his grace. Again, let me repeat that phrase I repeated earlier because this is really important for us. Takeaway point. The strength of a Christian is not moral superiority or, they, or we've got stuff figured out more. Or we've attended classes more, so we've got more stuff in our head. That is not it. You know this to be true for yourself. You sinned this week. It's the strength to admit our weakness and to receive the grace of God. To receive His grace. 
And when we do that is when that humility comes in and the grace flows out of us. A picture that came into my head this week was pride is something of a dam. Now, I see this in Jonah's life. So God has expresses this incredible grace for him. All is lost. He's going to die. He's toast. He is in total despair. And God dramatically rescues him. He says, God, you pulled me up from the pit. You've rescued me. You've poured out your grace into my life. But what he's still got, and what many of us still have, is a dam in the heart. Hoover Dam. And it has simply blocked that grace from being able to flow out to the people in our lives. And that dam is pride. Pride will not allow us to show grace for others. We're happy to receive it for ourselves. <laughs> Lord, thank you for your love, and this is just awesome, and yay, and I feel good today, and I did my devotions, and aren't I just awesome, and yay, and I can praise God at church and all that jazz. But boy, don't cut me off in traffic. <laughs> Don't don't inconvenience me when I'm at home. Don't don't get in my way as I'm trying to leave the building. Don't take from me. Don't expect anything of me. Right? I mean, you see how you see how easy it is for pride to just to just dam it up. You're, it doesn't come back out. It gets stuck within us. And y'all, that is exactly what I believe is going on with Jonah. And God, through this question, it's a question I leave us all with this morning. Through this question, God is trying to break the dam. I pray that you would use this question as a hammer. If you feel that there's a dam holding back the grace of God and your love for others, use the hammer of this question. What right? What right? A humbling question. What right do you have to be angry? Do you stand above me is what God is saying to Jonah. Do you, do you, are you the one who gets to determine who gets love and grace and who doesn't? Oh yeah, this is really important too. Don't stay in despair though. Even though we might need, I need, to take the hammer of this question and break down the dam of pride in our heart. The other thing that comes across so clearly in this passage, and we're going to see it in spades next week, is that no matter how persistent our pride is, God's love is always much, much more persistent. Y'all, Jonah asks to die in this passage. He says, Lord, just take my life. I can't go on. This is too hard. And God doesn't do it because God's love is so incredibly persistent. We're going to see it again next week. And that's the thing I want you to leave with because it's the thing that we do at this table. This table is simply a picture of God's consistent, persistent love. He will never stop coming after you. He will never stop forgiving you. He will never stop allowing His grace into your life. 
And he is the one who ultimately breaks the dam in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, I know, I I cannot speak for everybody in this room, but I know for myself, Lord, that I need... I need pride broken in my life. And I also know that the only thing to break it is is Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would use this meal, that you would use this time, that you would use your grace through Christ. Lord, to begin to break down the walls in our own heart. Father, your love, as displayed at this table, has never been bested. Lord, this is the love that we crave, that we want, that we need, that we have always hoped for. Lord, I I pray this morning that you would open up our hearts. Lord, that, that, our, that our lake would get super full of the love of Jesus this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to pour out that love upon our, our families and our communities. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.